0: Welcome back creeps. Hey
1: y'all.
0: It's been a minute. Remember us. Or <laughs> <laughs> <Well>, remember her.
1: <laughs>
0: I think the last episode that we actually recorded together was um the Stanley Hotel.
2: Damn. That was in November.
0: Yeah.
1: Whoa. I
0: think I might be wrong. But um Yeah, thanks everybody for putting up with us. 2024. Is that who you say? 2024. <laughs> has been weird so far. Yeah. Um, a bit of a chaotic year.
2: Yeah, I I just went to go see Manelli. You guys know Manelli. Um, you I want to go Minnelli. see. You know Manelli, my BFF. I went to go see her. I hadn't seen her in about two and a half months, but when I went over there, I was like, oh my god, I feel like I haven't seen you in like six months, like that's how long i haven't seen you she's like no we saw each other in october and i was like really she's like you know this happens every time i see you (laughs) she's like you think we haven't seen each other in like six months but it it wasn't that long but then you know that's how we started the conversation but then we started getting into all that happened since we'd seen each other yeah and and you're right when (laughs) when people say oh it's been crazy it was crazy (laughs) it's fucking crazy yeah so much happened so much can happen in two months (laughs) so much did happen in two months
0: yeah specifically around like right after our trip or whatever which is i think the last time we released an episode also yeah we are using these mics which are our lovely regular mics yeah which we got thanks to our beloved patreon members but we're also testing out these ones Um, for a top secret upcoming project so that's why we're double miked if you're thinking what's going on here yeah Um, and actually right off the bat anybody from Houston or the surrounding area if you could DM Weekly Creep if you're interested in participating in this upcoming top secret project hit me up Uh, it'd be much appreciated Mm -hmm. and that's like from Houston to Austin, San Antonio, Dallas the whole surrounds.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a big area. Like, Texas yeah. is huge. I looked it up. And I, uh, Texas is the second largest state in the U.S. I thought maybe California was going to be the first. Alaska. But it's Alaska. Yeah,
0: it's huge.
2: Me and my coworker, like, I'm always Googling the stuff. <laughs> um, I think it's because they're too scared to use the Google search at work. But we'll be talking about all sorts of things and all this Google.
1: The
0: reason why my phone is constantly in incognito mode, because I use the Google app or widget. Mm-hmm. So if you like, it's like search, image, and then incognito. Mm-hmm. And so incognito is the closest one for my phone to reach. But also it's because of how many dumb questions I Google during <laughs> the day. I don't want them coming up in my history.
2: You know, Google's getting sued for using information in incognito. They're like using, I, I, I'm... I'm more, probably, I'm like 75% wrong, probably. Um, but they're using that information to like market.
0: Oh yeah, but that's like, it's just incognito. So like your wife doesn't catch you watching dirty things. Yeah. Um, do you have a tarot card for us?
2: Oh yeah, I do. Sorry, I'm a little rusty. <laughs> Today's card of the day is the three of pentacles reversed. Whatever you're working on, Take a step back to look at your long-term vision. There's good energy today for practical planning. Ensure you're setting the right priorities and fine-tuning your approach. Consider collaborative input to enrich your strategy. Your dedication and foresight can shape this into something significant. I think I should have read this card right before you were talking about your project. And because your top secret project. Right, because there. this is definitely a collaborative
0: i feel like that is geared directly into my brain <laughs> um but yeah this new project is going to be a long-term thing so that's one thing that i'm already struggling with is taking my time with it
2: mm, you're trying to rush to complete when there is no like end goal
0: yeah exactly yeah. there's
2: no finish line. yeah
0: but um anyway that's all we're going to say about that right now. But yeah, anyway, thanks for putting up with us while I was back in Ireland as well. I was, somebody was adding our, uh, or subscribing to our YouTube channel the other day. Mm-hmm. And when they pulled it up, it's like the thumbnails look just horrendous. Cause it's just me sitting in my granny's kitchen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we do, what, we mean, you do what you can.
1: You know? Yeah,
0: yeah. So, um. No, while I still do really like the just F and ghost stories, I love that format. I'm gonna try and find a nice balance going forward, you know,
2: okay. ooh, before we get into it, um, I just wanted to discuss something. I just wanted to let you know what my favorites are as of rec- as of recently, things that I think are noteworthy, okay. Oh
0: like what we're suggesting this week or whatever yeah
2: um did people like that i can't remember yeah yeah. they did okay um all right if you're in target in the one dollar area when you first walk in they have these little things they're like little plates these little plates are for your tea bag for whenever you're drinking tea you take it out of your cup and you just drop it here Of course, if you're not using a saucer, because I assume that's what saucers are for. (laughs) But or like little baby plates. I got three of those and I got them like scattered around the house and they're perfect. And they're a dollar. So great. Um, But they're for like Valentine's and stuff. There's like a heart. There's like that little cup. And then there's like a teapot shaped. The other thing is the last Leanne Moriarty book that I read. It's called Truly Madly Guilty. I think this one is as close to Big Little Lies uh, than all her other ones. So I think this one and hus- The Husband's Secret are all close to uh Big Little Lies, which I think are Moriarty's best Books in, in my opinion, out of the ones that she has written. That one and um, What Alice Forgot, that one's pretty light. I think those three are the best ones. So if you're looking for a new author, if you're looking for a new book to sink your teeth in, to potentially take a day and a half to read because you won't want to put it down, Truly Madly Guilty is the one for me. Is it?
0: The one for you. Is the one for <laughs> you.
2: Yeah. But yeah. So that's a favorite and an update on my gaming. Um, I just got recommended a Pokemon. Well, it's, a, it's like a Pokemon game. It's called Pal World. Apparently, it's like Pokemon, but you can give these little creatures guns. So I'm going to check that out. Mm-hmm. Let you know how that goes. And then I'm almost done with Kirby for Kirby's Forgotten World, or Forgotten Land. Um, I'm on the second to last world. And I'm going to power through that when we're done recording here.
0: Sick. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of what to plug, I would recommend going and checking out my personal Instagram page. It's not just a plug for like the shit that I put up there, but also my friend tags me when we do like collaborative stuff together. Like this weekend, he put together like just a silly little sketch, but it was fun.
2: It was a one. (laughs) <laughs> As the kids say.
0: So. It was fun. Um, little spin-off Men in Black. So I'm not taking credit for it, but I did give him the idea. <laughs> like last year when we did the Men in Black series, I was working in close confines with this guy. And so he would hear everything that I had to say about whatever subject I was like researching for yeah. that episode or whatever. And Men in Black was one of them. So uh, that's where the... Idea came from. But yeah, go check it out anyway. It's Adam Lynch 44. And yeah, you'll see like just regular updates, like photography stuff and uh, shit like that. Cool. And so I think we'll get stuck in, will we?
2: Yeah. Okay. Let's get stuck in.
0: It is hot in this room and the fan doesn't work anymore. We so. should get a
2: little baby fan.
0: I was going through a whole bunch of stories that I had never come across before. And to be perfectly honest with you, none of them are really jumping out at me. Sorry, that's just the noise of my. Uh, Little teabag tray there. But yeah, none of them were really jumping out at me. Everything was kind of boring and samey. But then I came across this one. Okay. It's a lovely little concise case that was really well documented. I kind of fanboy isn't the word, but like the researcher will get into this, or the investigator. He, like top notch. Really well done research and um or just like investigation techniques and stuff like that very serious but yeah this case kind of has everything like internal family strife death and easy to brush off phenomena that are not that easy to brush off when you actually learn all of the information funnily enough this story actually takes place in the greater manchester area and i started writing this while i was about to board a flight to manchester oh yeah so while i was hanging out in manchester had a nice enough breakfast there vegetarian uh full english the house that we're about to talk about was only thirty minutes away from where I was sitting. Oh. Which was weird because like we're never usually that close to any case, you know, except for the Black Hope actually. Um So on July twenty third, nineteen ninety-five, the Manchester Evening News printed an article about the following story with the headline Spooky spills scare family from home. Now, I'm sure a lot of people had a giggle at the poor family in the photo, which showed a man, Jim, mm. Holding a mop up to the ceiling, and two ladies, Vera and Jeanette, looking up in despair. The family had been experiencing random water falling from their ceiling. Easy peasy, it's a leak, it's yeah. a dodgy pipe connection, or something like that. So they called out the council. The council came out and did their due, due, due diligence. Mm-hmm. Due diligence.
2: Due diligence.
0: Checking the attic for leaky pipes or a hole in the roof or something. But they informed the family that these types of houses didn't actually have any pipes running through the attic. Now, being a bungalow, meaning a one-story house, uh, or I guess cottage style. Yeah. Yeah. All pipes came up from the ground, and that's all that was needed. They couldn't find any evidence of rain getting in or signs of damp either. The house was a prefab bungalow, which had been commissioned by Churchill after World War II to help combat the housing shortage of the time. Vera had lived in this house for 13 years before any of this stuff had started up. And as far as I can see, there was nothing unusual beforehand. Her husband, her first husband had died of a heart attack in one of the bedrooms sometime around 1986, and they had had one child together, Jeanette, who was now in her thirties, but had the mental age of a child. The book I read just said that she had some sort of mental disability and that's as detailed as they got. So, I don't know. Vera had gotten married to Jim, the ceiling mopper, around 1993. And he had been living in the house for some time before the activity kicked off around October 1994. Vera had been in the kitchen one day making sandwiches. Hmm. When all of a sudden water started dripping from the ceiling. Now, this wasn't just one or two drops or even like, a consistent drop from one location or anything the entire ceiling seemed to be covered in a quote shimmering perfectly even layer of water which had appeared and it was now raining quite heavily apparently in Vera's kitchen
1: Whoa.
0: in a panic she ran around trying to cover all of her appliances
2: I thought she would try to cover the sandwiches
0: so funnily enough <laughs> I, um, I literally have For whatever reason, I'm picturing Vera making an entire kitchen's worth of sandwiches (laughs) of all varieties.
2: I've seen an ASMR video like that. She just has a list. Every
0: surface is covered.
2: Yeah, she has a list of different sandwich orders and she's just making them all on this big counter.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm picturing. It's incredible. Like on the chairs and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, All cut into triangles and on trays. So anyway, in a panic, she ran around trying to cover her appliances to somehow protect them from this mystery rain. But after a few minutes, it just stopped as quickly as it had begun, leaving the entire kitchen saturated. And yet the ceiling itself had somehow dried up all Mm. on its own. She rang the council straight away. But like I said, they could find no reasonable excuse. According to the newspaper article, on at least one occasion when the council were trying to figure out what was going on, the workers actually witnessed the phenomena themselves when it was actively raining from the ceiling and Vera and Jim had to use umbrellas to stay dry in their own house. This incident would prove to be just the beginning of the family's troubles though. After this first day of interior rain, it became a common occurrence throughout the house. Sometimes just like rain, and at other times it would just appear on the ceiling, walls, and doors. It seemed to avoid light fixtures, like intelligently. Did I say fixtures?
2: Yeah, light pictures.
0: (laughs) Pictures. It seemed to know to avoid light fixtures, and would often start in one room, stop and then pick up in another room but when it was raining it would rain but at other times like you could be just looking at a like say a door or whatever and the water would just form and oh. then just dry back up again. weird yeah now it was at the stage where they just had umbrellas in every room and plastic sheeting that the council had provided over everything like floors and all for about five months it stayed in jeanette's room the daughter happening every day without fail and then when they finally had her switch rooms after five months it seemed to follow her whoa yeah so a few nights after the water made its first appearance other more like regular poltergeist phenomena started vera and jim woke up one morning around 3 a.m to hear what sounded like pacing back and forth in their room Mm. this house was only around 700 square feet by the way so these footsteps were like I'm pretty sure right around their bed, like.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now I don't know what 700 square feet actually looks like,
1: Me but neither. smaller than
0: this house because I've seen these prefab homes. There's pictures online of them actually being delivered, mm-hmm. and they would come in two separate units and just get placed on top of the pipes and stuff. They're tight enough living quarters. But Jim made a point of saying that the floors were covered in plastic at this point. And yet the footsteps that they were hearing sounded like they were on the bare floor. So that to me stuck out because it's like, okay, simple, residual, right? Mm -hmm. But this would become a nightly occurrence. And eventually they would hear other noises, too, like knocking, scratching on the walls and even the raspy cough of a man.
2: Also possibly residual.
0: Yeah, it's it's weird we'll get into i still am undecided really? <laughs> <laughs> this is not right <laughs> uh but yeah like even at the end of this case i'm completely like dumbfounded mm. you know these noises were heard both in vera and jim's room and from the back bedroom mm. the bedroom where vera's husband had died first husband not jim jim ah. is still alive
2: it's <laughs> <laughs> like well a lot going on yeah <laughs>
0: They would hear someone whistling a tune when they were alone in the house and even started to smell cigarette smoke and licorice simultaneously, mm. which they said smelled like licorice rolling papers for okay. people who rolled their own cigarettes, which I think is a lot more common in the UK and Ireland.
2: Yeah, I've never seen anyone roll cigarettes here.
0: We all did it because it was so much cheaper. So like other poltergeist cases, the phenomenon seemed to happen in waves and escalate every few days or so. Like, oh, here's the first round of activity. Mm. Here's the next round of activity and the first round combined. Like, you know what I mean? And that's just kind of how it goes. Started with the water. Then there was the sounds and smells. And then one day, shit just started flying off the walls. Pictures, knickknacks and cups would be propelled off of wherever they had been sitting, breaking on the floor more often than not. Even neighbours had witnessed this. Then there were apports. Stuff would go missing and turn up in the most bizarre places days later. A clock radio in Jeanette's room would randomly make noise, even though it had no power source. And oddly enough, Jim pointed out that it would sound—it wouldn't even sound like regular radio, but like what you would expect to hear from a taxi radio. And they would hear random words that seemed to somehow relate to the family
1: mm.
0: or like something that was going on at that moment. Mm-hmm jim had had a double a battery thrown at him from Jeanette's room as
2: that's he walked, a fat one
0: yeah as he walked past the door one day and what's super bizarre is when they would brush their teeth in the mornings their toothbrushes or razors or whatever was in the little holder would rattle and bounce out of the holder and into the tub just causing a ruckus for no good reason mm. and like you know how loud everything is when it falls in the bath like
2: yeah you know. really loud
0: but the reason why i thought this was extra interesting is because I had stumbled across this funny little story on Reddit, just like the day before I read this or started writing this from Reddit user Cheerios underscore banana. My roommate's toothbrush is haunted.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I actually shared this on the weekly creep Instagram page
0: and then another podcast copied us, but it's fine. So today I was brushing my teeth and we all have our toothbrushes in a cup. Well, My roommate's toothbrush started flopping around by itself in the cup without anyone touching it. I told my roommate about it and she was like, yeah, I'm unfazed by it. It happens all the time. Ma'am, dispose of your satanic hygiene products, please, (laughs) before the rest of the toothbrushes catch your demons. (laughs) Is that how I'm going to be possessed? Through a haunted toothbrush? I love it. All the things in the world a ghost could mess with and it really chose a toothbrush. Why not mess with something cool like the TV or the lights or door?
2: I would much rather the toothbrush. My (laughs) old toothbrush, not my new electric toothbrush. Fancy toothbrush over here.
0: (laughs) And then they finish, you really have to terrorize my morning routine, question mark. (laughs)
2: Yeah. (laughs) Like it's already haunted that you have to go to work on a Monday morning.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I just thought like, what are the odds that two haunted toothbrushes in like two days?
2: That's crazy.
0: (laughs) In this newspaper article the one I mentioned above, they state that the family had a priest come over and bless the house, but unfortunately it didn't work. Now, the article, which I'll post on Instagram as well, um, the article actually says exorcism, like the priest performed an exorcism, but the priest felt it was just poltergeist activity, and he basically like made the professional call. He was like, I'm out. like This has got nothing to do with me or the church or anything like that. But he did go to his bishop for like a second opinion or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he was like, nah, nah, we're not touching that shit. So the priest was a Catholic priest, even though he's referred to as reverend in the book. But he was close enough to Vera and actually employed her part-time as a cleaner Mm. to help her out. Because like just for extra income or whatever. He had been to the house on multiple occasions and had even witnessed some of the activity firsthand. Like and not just like little knocks on the wall or anything. He was sitting in the living room with Vera one day when all of a sudden a large painting of a tiger flew off the wall with such force that it actually hit the priest on his leg. Yeah, and apparently these tiger paintings were like a really common thing Uh in the 90s in Manchester. Oh, and I completely forgot. I've actually made a playlist from Manchester (laughs) 1996 or something, whatever was in the UK charts specifically during like July of 1996 or whenever this took place. I was sitting in the airport, bored out of my school. The only song that I left off. So it's a top 40 playlist, but I only have 39 because the other song was Cotton Eye Joe and I didn't want to do that to anyone. Um, (laughs) So so are you going to share that? I'll share it somehow. It's on my personal Spotify, uh, which is probably just like Adam Lynch 44.
2: We should have said that at the beginning so that way people could get into the groove.
0: Yeah, because that's why I did it as well. Usually when I'm doing something like this, if there's like reference of a type of music or something like that, I'll have that type of music. Like when I was writing the Corpsewood series, I was listening to uh, like harp music the entire time because that's what, um, his name was Charles. He used to play the harp. So I would have, and there was a specific song that was mentioned in one of the books and I had that playing. Mm. Or like there's a Dennis Nielsen book, which I don't think I'll ever cover on here but the author was so specific about the type of music that Nilsson would listen to Mm -hmm. that I would listen to those songs while reading the book. And it gave me freaking chills. Like honest to God, it was like just spooky because that's what he was really into Mm -hmm. records Mm -hmm. specifically. So yeah, anyway, go check out (laughs) Spotify or whatever. It'll be somewhere. I'll share it. I feel like Gordy, you might like it. Uh, Anyway, shout out Yeah, shout out Gordy. Hope the new business is going well. Now, you might be wondering how I got all of this information with just that tongue-in-cheek article to go on. But that article was read by a man by the name of Steve Mira. Steve is a parapsychologist and founder and chairman of Manchester's Aerial Phenomena Investigation Team since 1974. It's a long time. long time. He's still extremely active in the paranormal community and as of writing this, he has just launched a new YouTube channel which actually has like 250,000 subscribers.
2: Whoa, for a new YouTube channel, that's pretty damn good. Yeah,
0: so I think, honestly, I think he's like a uh, a celebrity like in the paranormal world that somehow I just haven't come across yet like in my reading. Yeah, is he like
2: the Brad Pitt of the paranormal community?
0: Could be, honestly. Mm. But like, interestingly enough, after finishing this, like, and kind of, like, going through all of Steve Mayer's, like, website and stuff like that, and just being, like, this guy is really cool. Mm. I ended up seeing his name twice more in different Reddit stories, mm. like, based off other accounts and all. So, it was interesting. I think he actually had something to do with the Bothell House, which we'll cover at later Is that the thing.
2: one that those three guys own, and they do tours, and they film those tours?
0: No, that's the hotel in England.
2: Oh, what's that one called?
0: Like, My Haunted Hotel. If you listen to the um, episode where I interviewed Kev Eustace, it wasn't really an interview, it was just a chat. It was him and Emma that were on it.
2: Oh, okay.
0: So we talked about it on there. But I think it is just called My Haunted Hotel or something. (laughs) It's really cool. Anyway, I'm always skeptical of these types of characters because like charlatans are everywhere you know oh. what I mean even in this day and age like uh-huh. um, probably more so in this day and age but when I read cases like this specifically it can be very one-sided and like a lot of the time the investigator comes in and is like you got a demon baby and that's <laughs> all it is like from start to finish whereas Steve <laughs> ...is a real one, you from what like, I can see. You
2: sound like Disco Stew from The Simpsons.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, Steve, Steve, like my mate Steve, he's very down-to-earth, logical, and the embodiment of what you expect a good old-fashioned British ghost hunter to look like. Oh. Right, honestly, down to the little round glasses and everything.
2: Like Derek Okoda?
0: No, he's a... that's a Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, when Steve saw this article in the newspaper... He was curious enough to call the council housing office to ask for more information. And when they confirmed all the details of the article, he just left his number and told them to call if they needed help. Mm. Now, according to Steve's website, uh, he had worked with over 300 companies,
1: Mm.
0: like full, like actual corporations, Mm -hmm. to help them with paranormal happenings. I'm also pretty sure that at this time in 1995, Mappet actually had a legit office headquarters. So they were like the real deal, like Ghostbusters level, and even had a secretary, just like Ghostbusters. <laughs> That's
2: how you know it's real.
0: Yeah, because he it's like uh what's the word? Like a subtle brag or whatever, mm. a humble brag in the yeah. thing. He's like, So I was sitting in my office and my secretary brought me in the Manchester so Evening News, and I was like, Whoa. <laughs> that worked
2: that's what we need to be legitimate a
0: secretary. a secretary
2: i could be the secretary
0: i mean i can't pay you that's okay to be a secretary but that would be great though i I'll would do really appreciate it. pro that. bono thank god <laughs> two days later he got a call from the council to come in and have a meeting they were at a complete loss as to what was going on And as usual, they just had assumed that the family were just trying to move house, right? We've seen this before in the Belfast, in the Belfast Poltergeist case, the Enfield Poltergeist case, um, and other cases where it's maybe, um, where it's people living in council houses or government-funded housing, like the local government or council just kind of go, They just want a bigger house or to move to a nicer area and they have no other legit reason. So they're faking this haunting. This wasn't the case, though, Uh, at least here in Rochfield, which is the name of this episode. (laughs) 30 fucking four minutes in. Um, Vera was like in her 70s. She definitely did not want to leave here. She had lived here for 13 years or more. And, like, her husband had died here and stuff. It was a really sentimental place. Like, it was full of, like, stuff that they had bought when they were on holidays together. And, like, Jeanette had spent a lot of her life there and stuff. She was attached to the place. And even though I would like to add that these prefab homes were only supposed to last 15, no, 10 to 15 years. And by the 90s, they would have been around 40 years old. That was just me showing that I did a bit of research on these homes because I was trying to learn a little bit more about them. Um, Really interesting stuff, actually. Churchill had, like, commissioned all of these workers who had been building, like, ammunitions and guns and stuff for the war. And then the war was over and they had all of this steel and stuff left over, which would have come from, like, the old buildings around London, remember, the balconies and stuff? And they were, like, melted down. In... Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but alas, the council could find no other reason for this mystery carry on, for this mysterious carry on. And they were worried that any further publications in local newspapers or otherwise would lead to other families wanting to move out of their homes or new families not wanting to take the homes that are available. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, Steve and his team went out and met with the family and found that they were genuinely in need of help and experiencing something totally unexplainable. Their initial meeting was pretty much just a rundown and they arranged a more thorough investigation for two weeks time. They didn't hear anything from the family during that two weeks, but when the team returned to the house, they found that their incident report forms that they had been left with were uh, diligently filled out and the council had made yet another attempt to get to the bottom of the mysterious leak, but obviously they didn't find the cause. In the newspaper article and according to the family, they were like, this mysterious water just evaporates and leaves no trace whatsoever. But Steve did say that the ceilings did show signs of water damage, mm-hmm. so he got up into the loft himself, like to check, even like removed the fucking insulation and stuff, which is probably asbestos. Mm-hmm. And he found no evidence of water on top of the plasterboard going into the ceiling, mm-hmm. but definitely underneath. So yeah. like they were really thorough, like you know what I mean? Yeah. And another guy on the team also checked this at a later stage, mm-hmm. just to. Be sure to be sure. But as he was walking to the loft, he had a big dollop of water land on his face. And when he looked up, obviously there was no place it could have come from. There was no sign of any water. So while Steve and the team were discussing the incidents that had transpired over the previous two weeks with Jim and Vera, Jeanette, the daughter, came rushing in crying, It's happening again. Mm. Ah (laughs) like a picture and her like running all around the house. Or in circles. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's happening again. It's happening again everyone rushed into the hallway all joining in
2: (laughs) (laughs) in the same fashion yeah yeah Ah. hands in
0: the air um everyone rushed into the hallway and witnessed the phenomena firsthand steve said quote the water was moving toward him at a rate of about a half an inch per second consistently multiplying as it grew it shimmered as it went it moved intelligently across the ceiling without causing any drips to fall, and it decided to take a path around the light fitting, as if the light fitting was in its way and it had to manoeuvre around it. The way it moved was a little string of water would come out first, then the rest of the water would move too. It kind of like flubber actually. Yeah. Then, at one point, it was coming out like little fingers or spikes with the rest of the water following it.
2: Weird.
0: This event lasted around five minutes before the water evaporated back to nothingness, leaving a bone-dry ceiling in its wake. This is such a bizarre occurrence. And while it's not the first case that we've covered with phantom water, I think it might be the first time that someone managed to get a sample of the mysterious liquid. Yeah, a sample that actually made it to the lab. Uh Because if I'm not mistaken, Enfield had like random puddles of water showing up and Pontefract, that was like the start of the thing, remember? They would have like, what's all this water doing here? And then they would walk out to get a mop or something, come back and it's gone. Steve and his team began to arrange further plans with Vera so that they could have the house to themselves for an overnight investigation when Jim called out to them from the kitchen where he was stood under an umbrella in the midst of a heavy rain shower. Inside. In the kitchen. They all witnessed this and Jim didn't try to clean it or anything. He had just resigned to the rainstorm. (laughs) It lasted about a minute the entire kitchen was completely soaked, but the ceiling just dried on its own.
2: How strange. Yeah.
0: And, like, he was resigned to it because he just knew what was going to happen now. Like, yeah. He would was stand like, there under I'm the wet. umbrella with his cup of tea or whatever. Yeah. And then he knew it would stop in a couple of minutes and he would just have to get to mopping.
2: That's wild, man.
0: Yeah. A week or two later, the team returned for their overnight investigation. They weren't overly worried at this point because they were convinced that the house itself wasn't haunted. Mm. They believed that one of the family members was the source of the phenomena and they wanted to figure out which one and why.
2: You know, in in all this, at least it's not like something else. At least it's like water. It could be a myriad of different gross things. Yeah, I mean Or dangerous things like lava.
0: Okay, well, there's other, like, a lot of cases have reported, like, blood, or, like...
2: Yeah, you know, it could be blood. I That's think,
0: wasn't it, Amityville, believe gross. it or not, used to... They said, like, it was ectoplasm. So, yeah. like, viscous liquid, mm-hmm. though, and, like, goo and like, stuff mucus-y. like that. could be, like, Yeah. could be worse. So, no, it definitely could be. I'm not
2: saying, like, this is a great, like, you know... <laughs>
0: Position to be in. Right. Well, We'd be saying. fucked, because, like...
2: Because the cats.
0: I don't... The cats can dry themselves. <laughs> We've got computers, iPads, cameras. Like, yeah, you know that's
2: true. I mean? It could be golden syrup. That would suck. Yeah, everything, everything would be, would be sticky. sticky.
0: I think at this point, I want to point out that where most paranormal groups are like way over the top with their reactions and what they might consider concrete evidence, mm-hmm. Steve's retelling of what happened at this little house seems to be the most downplayed account of any investigation I've ever read. Mm almost to a fault okay so like you're right the the activity could have been a lot worse we've definitely read stories where it has been a lot worse yeah and i appreciate the fact that he's coming in and going i don't think it's the house this is like pretty classic poltergeist activity yeah the water is like multiplied it yeah doesn't normally happen like this but typically this would happen when there's like you know, the families are going through a hard time or like a hormonal change or whatever. So that's where they were coming in going like, no, let's be level-headed here and try and get to the bottom of this. And I didn't want to just quote the book or anything. Like, I'll always suggest if you're interested in the story, go and read the source material. Because you're guaranteed to learn more than whatever I tell you. Which, in this case, the book was The Rochdale Poltergeist, A True Story by Jenny Ashford and Steve Mira. Mm. No, anyway, like I was saying, they definitely have a a unique approach to ghost hunting. And one of the first things that they experienced that evening, after the team all had cups of tea, of course, Steve heard another teammate, Alicia, call out to him. The team had split up into pairs, and the two of them had been sitting in Jeanette's room for about half an hour. When Steve got up to go to another room, right, they were just going to like switch around so that every team member could be in every room for certain amount of time. But as he got to the doorway, he heard Alicia just over his shoulder say, You alright, Stevie? I'm imagining that's what Alicia sounds like. <laughs> Which caused him to spin around, only to see that Alicia... What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you what, mate, what? <laughs> um, sorry. But yeah, he spun around instantly, only to see Alicia still sitting on the other side of the room. Startled by his reaction, because not only had she not said anything, she hadn't heard anything either. Mm. Stranger still was the fact that nobody ever referred to Steve as Stevie. Mm. Later, another team member, Carol, was in Jeanette's room on her own when suddenly the clock radio came to life and she heard two words through what sounded like walkie-talkie or taxi radio static dropping clues here and it just said john's watching ominous yeah the radio wasn't plugged in and had no batteries because somebody had thrown them a fucking <laughs> gym <laughs> <laughs> and now i actually did look into this a little bit because i know that you can operate radios with no power source right because I know that it's possible. I have no idea how it works. Mm. And I've actually looked into this before because it's so fucking baffling to me. Um, so like crystal radio sets, you would have heard like people talking about these like back in the day. I think in like the 50s and 60s, kids would have gotten crystal radio sets. to like you would build it yourself. It didn't require any batteries. It was just like windings, um, like windings of copper or aluminium mm-hmm. around something like a magnet. That would just catch AM and FM wow. waves. Yeah. And that's how radio works. Like That's wild. Somebody please explain that to me.
2: <laughs> like you want to talk paranormal radio waves. Yeah,
0: seriously. <laughs> so I tried to see if it was possible for like a regular modern radio to act like this. Mm. But I don't think it can. Like yeah. I think if nothing else, the, the batteries act as a circuit, like mm. and without that connector. It's just a dud, like. Not to mention the fact that the speaker itself needs, like, power. So I'm saying that this was 96% likely to be a paranormal anomaly. Um, But like I said, if somebody else can explain this to me, logically, please let me know. Because it's also not the first time I've heard of random noises coming through unpowered radios.
2: Mm. Or toys.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So... At one point in the night, Steve yelled out, I've been hit. The fuck? Yeah. <laughs> After he was seemingly, this is the most dramatic it's it got. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, I've been hit, go on without me. <laughs> um, no, he, so he was seemingly attacked by an unseen presence that left a big red mark on his back.
2: In the shape of a battery. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> They heard the raspy breaths of an invisible man in a dark room. They smelled the mysterious aroma of flowers as well as licorice tinted cigarette smoke. Interesting. Pulp, and even saw the strange water pop in the pop into existence in the blink of an eye on the back of one of the doors before drying up without a trace after about two minutes.
2: Wow. Could it be like a par- like a poltergeist and a haunting happen in the same house? Like
0: simultaneously. Yeah. We'll get into it, because I do have, like, theories, right? But it's not really. So I'm just going to talk at you for about five minutes. <laughs> just, like, yeah.
2: My head's lolling.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the thing that really stuck out from this night to me was something that was witnessed by the entire team. Actually, not just to me. It's like in the book, it, they make a pretty big deal out of it. After Steve was attacked by the presence or entity or whatever it was, he had gone outside to ground himself, because I think he felt like he had overreacted a little oh. bit. Like, I've been hit! <laughs> <I> <laughs> mean,
2: you were pretty cool yeah. so <laughs> far, man. And Go then... on without
0: me. <laughs> um, take these, tell my father I love him. <laughs> no, so anyway, after he was attacked, he went outside to just like chill out for a minute out in the garden, and then decided to have a cup of coffee before continuing with the night.
2: Because that'll help your anxiety. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and as he was walking through the lounge... He stopped. It. He was stopped in his tracks by what he saw. A six-inch statuette of the Greek goddess Themis, mm. or famous, more commonly known as Lady Justice. This little figurine was just sat in the middle of the floor where they had been, where they had all been walking in and out of all night. None of them had seen it before now. Mm. And like I said, this was not a large room. It's not like the lounge was a big, echoey place. Like it, it was. Just a little sitting room, like it's
2: not saltburn.
0: It's not saltburn, which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, by the way.
2: another recommendation, yeah. man. I love that movie.
0: And the way he's just hanging out there.
2: Yeah. Out there. Like yeah. just you Flopping know, around. Flopping around.
0: Luckily, the team had done a 360 recording of the lounge with a special camera lens so they could measure distances, etc. Like if anything was moved. It was literally just a regular camera lens, but it had a grid on it. Mm. So you could say. It gave you like a perspective, specifically for situations like this. So they went through the tape, all of them watching for where this statue might have been. But it just simply wasn't there. Mm. The following morning, they asked Vera and Jim about it. And the statue had been bought by Vera's first husband on a trip to Greece some 15 years earlier. There's no real significance as to why it was theme is it was just that they were in greece and it was like a knickknacky touristy shop Mm -hmm. but it had been on the tv stand for forever i think there was a vase on one side and this little statuette on on the other side it had been there forever so vera never moved it or anything like that and she was just as perplexed as the others were it must have disappeared sometime between the gardeners leaving for the night Jim and Vera's second name is Gardner's not like... It must have disappeared sometime between Jim and Vera leaving for the night and Steve's crew coming in. At this point in the story, information is not being passed back and forth. Which, this is what I was saying. Like, Steve's doing this on purpose. This is his technique.
2: I see.
0: I think it's almost to the detriment of the case, though. Um. A lot of the time, this is just my opinion. I understand why he's doing it. He's trying to not, like, feed the beast right but at the same time like
2: wait he's he's not sharing information with his team he said
0: no with the family oh
2: with the family and
0: he's also not asking the questions that i would be asking
2: yeah
0: again i'm not saying that's right or wrong
1: yeah
0: but like that he doesn't want to give the family anything specific that might lead to them leaning into you know this or that like storylines like Mm -hmm. oh it's a demon so now we need to do this yeah like imagine the priest that they had called in had told them that the mysterious water phenomena was caused by an unholy water demon, <laughs> because they ate meat on Fridays and if they st- if they wanted it to stop they would need to wear skirts exposing their knees which had little troll doll wigs glued to them.
2: It's very specific.
0: Very specific. I don't remember right now. Uh, probably it must have been a bit. Ex-
2: yeah. <laughs> it must have been real late.
0: So like this is probably a bit of an extreme example. But like... Yeah, I'd say. Stuff like that would certainly add to the stress of the situation, right? Well, yeah. Or like, say they were told... Trolls
2: you... <laughs> aren't prominent these
0: days. <laughs> <laughs> on your knees. Um, But like, that would definitely change the behavior of the family.
2: Yeah.
0: And put them under more stress. Like, for example, the Brownsville case, right? Mm-hmm. Where he was like, reading scripture, like, straight from the Bible for like, hours on end, I think. Yeah. And while he seemed to think it worked, and probably did, it... Definitely altered his mindset Mm. at that stage. Mm -hmm. So I think this is what Steve was trying to avoid. But in doing so, I think he actually hindered the investigation. Up until now, the family had thought that the activity might have been the result of Vera's dead first husband maybe being unhappy about something. But the phenomena was so poltergeisty that Steve and his crew just refused to believe that. Mm. So I think it's kind of trendy at the minute to assume that activity is not caused by the spirit of someone who once was, right? Okay. And while I agree that that's probably not every case, I think there's too many coincidences in this particular case. Like, I do still believe in, you know, somebody dying and their ghost being here. Mm. Like the most simple explanation of a ghost. I do think that that can happen. You see, Steve never even asked Vera what her first name was, right? No. (laughs) You see, see, Steve never even asked Vera what her first husband's name was until after the first overnight investigation. It was John. The words that came from the unplugged radio were John's watching. (laughs) The unplugged radio that made noise unlike a regular radio, but a walkie-talkie or... Taxi radio? Yeah. Guess what John used to do for a living? He was a
2: taxi driver. He was
0: a taxi Shut driver. Shut your
2: face!
0: And what did John die from?
2: Getting run over by a taxi. <laughs>
0: <laughs> John died from a heart attack brought on by years of smoking, which had led to emphysema.
2: And he smoked those cigarettes?
0: Could that have been the raspy breaths that the team and family had both heard?
1: Like, uh-huh.
0: The family even reported hearing coughing. John, but the smoking he's... taxi driver, uh-huh. is he the reason why everyone was smoking? Is he. What reason
1: why everyone was smoking? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know why <laughs> Like the days I just keep oh, smoking.
0: Fucking John <laughs> Is he the reason why everyone was smelling cigarette smoke throughout this house? Why now though? Right? John had died years before. Vera had been married to Jim for two years at this point, and presumably they had been together for at least a few months before they got married, right? So why would he all of a sudden kick up a fuss? Usually. In typical poltergeist cases, there are adolescents involved. Usually the activity is focused on them or seems to happen more often when they are present. This case doesn't have that, but we do have Jeanette. Yeah. Although she is an adult, mentally she behaves like a much younger individual. Now Steve had assumed that she was the root cause of all of this. Not intentionally or anything like that, but I could understand why he would think this. When he went to speak with the priest who had blessed the house and also employed Vera, though, he found out something else which he felt validated this theory. Mm -hmm. And I also feel this way. Jeanette had gotten pregnant at some point. Really? Yeah. And the child had lived with the family for a while. But unfortunately, Jeanette wasn't really able for motherhood. And so her daughter was taken into foster care. Now, it seems pretty, like, amicable Like, I mean, Vera was also in her 70s. She could hardly be looking after, like, a newborn baby or toddler. So the child would come and visit them at the house. But during one of her visits, all hell broke loose. The little girl was having a sleepover in Jeanette's room, from what the priest said. And while she was in there, stuff started being thrown all over the place. And a rogue hairdryer hit the little girl.
1: Mm.
0: Her and Jeanette ran screaming from the house. And that was the last time she visited. Whoa. Jeanette still had access, but would go to the foster family's house for these access meetings.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now, I don't have any sort of timeline here, but it seems to me like maybe the activity only started up when the little girl went to live with the foster family. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this was a horrific time for Jeanette, and I'm sure Vera too, and probably the little Mm -hmm. girl, even even if it was for the best. So... That was the event that Steve was looking for. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I'm still kind of leaning towards the John ghost theory personally. Again, I don't have a timeline, but it would surely make sense that if this was the spirit of the once living John, wouldn't he just enjoy hanging out in the house, happy for Vera to have found love again and for his granddaughter to be living in the house, right? Then wouldn't he surely be pissed off if his granddaughter was taken away from the family and went to live somewhere else and his. Loving family was now broken up Mm -hmm. and John's a ghost stuck in the house. He can't go and see her like Jeanette does. Mm -hmm. The argument for Steve's side of things was that all of this energy was there because of Jeanette's emotional trauma. And the family had sort of carved it into the shape of John because that was the most logical thing in their minds. Okay, so I'm not 100 percent sold on either side because I'm flaky at best. I do not and will not ever know the answer. And so I'm not going to pretend like I do. I'd like to hear all theories. This is how I have written this. But if you have a theory, like send us an email to weeklycreep at gmail.com. I'd love to hear it. Or just comment below if you're watching on YouTube. But one more point that's leaning me back to Steve's argument is something that only he experienced and nobody else can verify that. So we just have to take his word for it, right? Are you all right, Stevie? Mm. The phantom words he heard in his friend Alicia's voice. The mimic that got it wrong. Nobody called Steve, Stevie.
2: Yeah.
0: Such a strange incident. But if something is mimicking a family member, it has a lot of information, surely, to build off of. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it's mimicking someone who's just shown up, Maybe it got it wrong yeah, and it was estimating. So maybe it was this bubble of energy that had just come around from, you know, Jeanette's unfortunate circumstances.
1: Yeah.
0: And then lastly is the water sample. According to Northwest Laboratories, who received the sample and safety sample of household tap water from the same house, Uh, that Steve had sent them, the normal range of UCSMs in tap water is 70 to 108. Mm -hmm. UCSM, I think, stands for micro Siemens per centimeter. That might not be true. Now that I'm looking at this, micro Siemens per centimeter, which is the conductivity level of water.
2: Oh, that is what it, I thought maybe, you're like, that's not what it is. That's not the right word, but it is Siemens?
0: I guess that's the measurement. Semen. Semen, Siemens. And the U actually is the scientific symbol of for micro. Oh. So anyway, okay. I'm saying U for now. The UCSM le- levels in the mystery sample that Steve had scooped from the ceiling was 1,323, as opposed to the regular 70 to 108, mm-hmm. which is obviously way higher. The reason I thought that this was fascinating (laughs) okay in terms of paranormal evidence is because steve said that the water seemed to purposefully avoid light fixtures in the ceiling now if this water was electrically charged maybe it was giving off its own electromagnetic field which may have then been repelled by the field being given off from the cabling going through the ceiling towards the light that would make sense fascinating
2: yeah very
0: right now this is like the nerdiest of nerd stuff mm-hmm. but like if you have pure water that's an insulator
1: mm-hmm. pure
0: water cannot hold a current mm-hmm. so like you know if you drop a toaster in the in water it's not actually the water itself is not becoming electrified it's the impurities of the water so this water is like 13 times more electrically conductive than regular water
2: it has more impurity than it
0: i guess But I just thought it was really interesting. Like, if you're going to have EMF around anything, surely that's Mm going to be it, right? Anyway, Steve took his reports to the council and they rehoused Vera, Jim and Jeanette in a bigger house. Now, Vera wasn't overly happy with moving, but this was her only option. Steve suggested that the council shut off the electricity to the old house and don't let anyone move in for at least six to eight months. His belief was that by then, any lasting energies caused by human or electrical supply would have well and truly dissipated, and anyone who moves in after that should have no problems. I don't know where he got this number from, like six to eight months. Mm -hmm. Presumably, it was just from his previous experience, but it seems to have worked. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of rings true for like other cases, you know, where like you always hear of, Oh, that place isn't haunted. This family moved in afterwards and they never experienced anything. Mm -hmm. They maybe just ran its course,
1: Mm.
0: you know, or maybe the new family were repellent, Mm. like ghost repellent. When he spoke to Jim after they had moved, Jim told him that he had locked up the house and handed the keys over to the council. But when the council came back the next day, every window in the house was wide open. In the new house, some strange activity started up again, but this time it was actually proven to be Jeanette. Now, I left this detail in because this happens time and time again in all of these types of cases, specifically family-oriented poltergeist cases. And it's usually when naysayers pop up going, see, it's fake. It's all fake because she was faking the whole faking thing, right? But it's actually proving that the investigators are truly do- doing their work mm-hmm. because they're debunking wherever they can. hmm It's also the fact that a lot of the time, regardless of the type of activity or the people involved, there's always, there's usually a certain level of vulnerability and attachment, not necessarily to the phenomena, but the people who come to help Mm -hmm. and the attention that it brings. When the problem is solved and life goes back to being safe and boring, there's a loneliness left behind. There's no more important people visiting in the evenings, no more priests coming to pray over the house or the families. And it's a bittersweet thing for a lot of people. Like Enfield. Like Enfield, exactly, yeah. And just like Enfield, the girls were caught faking a lot of stuff towards the end of it, when the activity was just naturally drying up. Mm -hmm. There's something that really annoyed me about this whole story, and if I ever get the chance to talk to Steve Mayer, I will ask him, was that every person smelled cigarette smoke with a faint hint of licorice. Which Jim stated came from licorice-flavored rolling papers. But nobody asked Vera, is that what John used to smoke?
2: Yeah, that's what I asked. I know,
0: but I don't have the answer. And it pisses me off so much. (laughs) So annoyed over it. But I suppose we'll just never find out. Um, So that's the Rochdale Poltergeist. All right. Yeah. That's a good story. Yeah, it was. It was definitely a unique one. Um, My sources were the Rochdale Poltergeist, a true story by Jenny Ashford and Steve Mira. H2Olabcheck.com, because I was trying to find out what UCSM meant. SteveMira.com, and the article from Manchester Evening new- News, which will be on our Instagram. Cool. Um, yeah, with Jim the Ceiling Mopper. All right, so we'll be back in two weeks' time with another news story and uh, hopefully some updates on the top secret project that nobody's allowed to know about. <laughs> um, but again, if you're in the Houston area or the surrounds, message me. um and I'll let I'll fill you in. We'll try and get you on board. Good enough.
2: No, nope, that's
0: it. All right. Bye. Bye. Oh, here's our fucking friend. <laughs> I'm convinced this ice cream man isn't even a fucking ice cream man.
1: He's
2: like, "Oh shit, they're back!" All right. Let's...
0: Yeah, first time recording in two months. Let's go, boys. <laughs> I'm uh... You guys want some ice cream?
2: <laughs> and then the kids that do come, they like come and then they speed away.
0: I have never seen a child go through that thing.
2: Mm. When the kids were younger, and me, this guy would drive around. We would buy ice cream from them. Kids love that shit.
0: Doesn't even look like a regular ice cream van. It looks like just a van that a dude went. <laughs> I have ice cream in the back.
2: I can vouch for him. He sells ice cream. And what else? (laughs) And what else, I ask you. (laughs)